Project Veritas exposes Twitter. What will the first 100 days of the Biden administration look like? And Parler is not dead. I'll be getting into that and more on The William Hall Show. I don't know about you, but I love Project Veritas. They've done amazing investigative journalist work. It's run by James O'Keefe, and they continuously put out these awesome pieces that really just allows you to see people in moments where they have no idea where they're being filmed, really saying what it is that they normally would say in normal conversation, whether that's at work or just anywhere behind closed doors. You don't need Ted Cruz asking them all of these harsh questions to try and get an answer out of them. If they don't know they're being filmed, they basically will tell you everything you need to know. So here is Jack Dorsey and his uh, one of the higher executives as well, basically saying and exposing everything, why they've banned Trump. We do intend to do a full retro, as I said in my note. It is going to take some time. Um, And then the the other thing just to just to close out a little bit we you know we we are focused on one account right now but this is going to be much bigger than just one account and it's going to go on for much longer than just this day this week the next few weeks it's going to go on beyond the inauguration we have to expect that we have to be ready for that so the focus is certainly on this account and uh, how it ties to real world violence but also we need to think much longer term around how these dynamics play out over time. Um, I don't believe this is going away anytime soon. And the moves that we're making today uh, around QAnon, uh, for instance, is one such example of a much broader approach um, that we should be looking at um, and, and going deeper on. So um, the team has a lot of work and a lot of focus on this particular issue. Uh, we also need to give them the space and the support to focus on the, the much bigger picture um, because it is it is not going away. Um, you know, the, the U.S. is extremely divided. Um, our platform is uh, showing that uh, every single day, and our role is to protect the integrity of that conversation uh, and do what we can to make sure that no one is being harmed uh, based off that. And, and that is the focus, and um, that is the, the color we want to provide. All right, so that was the first clip with Jack Dorsey in there. And and basically, all, what this proved to me more than anything is that Jack Dorsey knows what he's doing. I, I mentioned this on a, uh, the last show, I believe, but he knows exactly what's going on. This guy plays Clueless in front of Congress. He'll play Clueless on Twitter sometimes, but he knows what he's doing. I mean, they're right there saying exactly what's going on. And and the key things to take away out of this is that this is about more than just Trump. This isn't going to end at Trump. This will not end after the inauguration. I mean, that that's the big takeaway here. And I said this already. I, I basically predicted, predicted it. But after the inauguration, this isn't going to be over. It's not like Biden gets into office and then all of a sudden us conservatives stop being censored. It's going to continue. I actually think it's going to get worse because they have all of the incentive in the world to do it. That's what they want to do. And with Biden in office, it just gives them even more freedom. But you see that this is bigger than just Trump. And at any point, if they can ban Trump, 
They can ban anybody. If they can get rid of the United the the president of the United States, any of its citizens are fair game at that point. And that is where we're at. Now, this is a another clip of his high executive or one of his top executives. And if you've actually seen there was a there's a podcast that Joe Rogan did with Jack Dorsey and and this woman it's a uh, Vijay Gotti and and basically they go through all of the stuff you had uh, Tim Pool there basically pointing out all the decisions where Twitter basically banned somebody and pointing out the flaws in it and then she was the person that had to basically defend the reason why Twitter banned this per- those specific people so she's the one that's basically in charge of all of this uh, of the actual conduct and and all of the behavior and policies on Twitter so here's her basically saying we don't like the truth. James O'Keefe here, Project Veritas. Last week, we released that whistleblower tape of CEO Jack Dorsey expanding his ideas of censorship. Not only was Project Veritas not deplatformed, we were trending number six on Twitter. Get ready because today you're about to hear from one of Dorsey's top executives, Vidya Gaddy. She is the legal policy trust and safety lead. She does not know that she was being recorded in this staff meeting. And here she is on video discussing how and why Twitter put the president in a timeout before he was permanently banned. You can hear her talking about that and more. Uh, the civic integrity policy in particular um, has a range of options um, from labeling to removal in some instances to um, permanent suspension. Yeah, Vijay, I think you, you have a some of the top questions on, on Slack as well. Yes, um, some of the main themes we're seeing um, I think I've tried to address them, um, but uh, whether we believe Trump's tweets are inciting violence and having real-world harm, I think we've seen that, in fact, they are. I think the question is which ones are. We've also seen that Trump has attempted, um, since coming back from the timeout, to um, de-escalate the situation, uh, which I think has been helpful and important for um, some, if not all, of the people who are following um, him. So we do think that that is um, a risk, and that's why we're continuing our evaluation of how these tweets are being received and interpreted. Another question that we saw was just around the global application of this and, and how we can ensure consistency uh, beyond just what's happening in the U.S. right now. Yeah, actually, one of the interesting things is a lot of the work that we've been doing over the last um, week is uh, work that we've built on um, in, in other places around the world where we've seen uh, violence unfold as a result of um, either misleading information or um, coded rhetoric. Um, so a lot of our learnings here have come from other markets. So in that sense, um, you know, we do feel like it is, it is, this is our global approach. We need to be very focused on being able to enforce any of these policies or enforcement decisions we make at scale. And then the last question, which, you know, obviously would love Jack's point of view, but um, what is, uh, have we read the letter from employees demanding Trump to be suspended and what's our point of view on that? There are certainly good ideas expressed within the letter that speak to the retro and how publicly we need to be about what we've learned uh, about our policies around our actions. One question in particular was just around, uh, you know, the first strike and that and the 12-hour suspension. Um, and if we consider just the severity of the president's tweets and why we didn't maybe jump uh, a couple steps ahead uh, versus just sticking to the, the kind of first strike in the 12 hours. Absolutely. We had a really robust discussion 
enforced our civic integrity policy against the president um, in the past. We felt that it was um, important to send that message that we were incredibly concerned and that this was a significant violation of our policy. But we also felt that um, it was important to um, build trust, to also warn before a permanent suspension um, of an account um, of this importance, particularly in light of the fact that there were also messages of conciliation and um, um, asking protesters to leave and to be peaceful, etc. So obviously it was a judgment call. Um, and we're relying on judgment of, uh, you know, our teams and your leadership, me, Jack. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, that was the judgment that we made was that was the right approach. I can totally see why other people would come to a different conclusion. And it's a reasonable conclusion. Um, and it was just a different, I drew the balance in a, in a different way, given um, where I think long term we want to be in terms of building trust and enforcing policies consistently and providing adequate notice um, before we take a very um, uh, aggressive step like a permanent suspension. There's also been a lot of questions about retros, um, and um, uh, of course we're going to do a retro. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the midst of a retro around the election generally. This will be most definitely folded into it. What we saw Wednesday morning was really concerning to us, obviously. So. Uh, a small team gathered from Trust and Safety. We were discussing um, the potential for violence to happen, and we decided to uh, escalate our enforcement of the civic integrity policy and use um, a label that disabled engagements um, to stop the spread of potentially inflammatory um, content, which is the content around uh, election interference, election fraud, stealing the election, um, that type of thing. We think that the severity of what's happening on the ground, coupled with the information that's contained in these tweets, this misleading information about the election being stolen um, and the uh, massive fraud around the election, are what is changing our analysis of how we should enforce this policy. Um, it is a much more severe violation um, given what we're seeing on the ground. We made the decision yesterday that we are going to actually. Um, be more aggressive in our enforcement beyond deamplification. We are actually going to, for accounts that are primary purpose, um, spreading QAnon theories, we are going to, conspiracy theories, we are going to be permanently suspending those accounts. We are doing everything that we can to ensure that Twitter is being used in a positive way, a positive way affects society. All right, of course they're going to say misleading information, right? That That's the left's way of saying truths that we don't like. Things we don't want to hear, but are clearly obvious through video evidence or that we just know for a fact that are just out in the wild. We, we know these things to be a lot of these things to be fact. Now, I'm not saying that everything posted on Twitter is factually correct. What I'm saying is, is that for them, it doesn't matter whether something's true or not. Let's take the Hunter Biden laptop situation, for example, right? You remember that? The New York Post, okay, a, a reputable news or paper a site that has been around for a many 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 years has their posts about the hunter biden thing and the laptop completely removed off of twitter think about that for a second the new york post didn't editorialize anything they didn't make that stuff up that wasn't fake news it was exactly what it was they had picture proof evidence videos all of that and yet twitter says nope we're taking that down 
And, and wait, wait, mis- misleading information. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't realize misleading meant just any the, the stuff that we have tangible evidence of. Oh, wait, wait, it's because you're biased, right? So we know that to be the case. We know that this misleading information is nothing but just their way of changing the language to fit what it is that they believe to be true, when it, even if it's not. It doesn't matter to them at all. And then she goes on talking about this coded rhetoric. A lot of what I think she's referring to, and I, and I don't have this confirmed or anything, but at least on my assumption is she might be referring to conservatives that were maybe a lot part of, or had QAnon in their in their descriptions. So Twitter went along, and as you've seen as you've seen in these videos, they've taken out any of those accounts. All of those accounts are basically deleted. They have any mention of QAnon or anything like that. And so some people would put C U E instead of the letter Q to kind of at least so people knew what they were talking about and dodge the you know, maybe the, the Twitter algorithm that's basically probably catching that kind of stuff and suspending accounts or flagging accounts. So basically that, I think that might be what she's talking about. Maybe they're referring to some type of dog whistle, maybe saying one thing and meaning another. Either way, I, I don't think it really matters because I, I briefly touched on this in the last show, but their validation behind banning Trump is because everything that he puts out, they see as violent. If, if they even have just a, a small little scent of something that they can attribute to being Trump's fault and that event being some type of violent event or, or an event where just some violence happened, they're going to use that as a means to do it because every tweet to them to Trump is violence. And, you know, the left believes that language is violence. They've said that so many times. So it's nothing new that they would suspend him over inciting violence because they view everything through this tent of he's doing evil. He's, he's a orange, orange man bad. Everything is viewed through that crazy leftist lens. So there's nothing that he could say that can make it any better. You know, remember when after the events of the Capitol, Twitter suspended a video that Trump put up. It was the first video he put up where he was calling for peace. He, he said, I want you to go home, leave peacefully. This is not what we're about. This is not what we do. And they censored that tweet. How does that make any sense at all? It's almost like they don't care what Trump does. It's just that if he does anything at all, it must be deemed as unsafe for some reason. Everything is going to be viewed through that entire lens. You you also saw at the very end there that some of the employees were actually pressing uh, the uh, Nadia or Vidya, sorry, the uh, the the woman there, Vijagati. They were they were basically bringing their concerns to her and saying Trump should be suspended, and she's trying to give actually a rationalization of why maybe he shouldn't be. And she actually brought up that video in question about him calling for peace and saying, well. You know, we, we can't really necessarily do that. We shouldn't really do it this way because blah, 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 blah. The point is that what this showed me is that the employees that are at Twitter are actually more radical than the people running Twitter. Because even Vidya here is is basically kind of backpedaling a little bit and being a little bit scared kind of of like uh, almost nervous, right, about her decision to not ban the president. Think about that. She's nervous about her decision to not go along with the mob mentality at, at her job. I mean, of course they did it anyways. They still banned them. But 
just think about how biased these companies are. I mean, these a lot of these decisions I think that they're making are coming from the employees up. They're, they're not decisions by Jack Dorsey necessarily. I mean, he may have the final call. Maybe this lady probably has a bit of the final call too, but the it's the crazy leftist employees that are kind of coming up through Twitter and demanding that their company police and and tell you what you can say and tell you what you shouldn't be able to say. That is the scary part about this. It's not just the tops and heads of these companies. It's infested deep throughout these entire organizations. It is radical leftism all over the place. So in the next two days, the inauguration is going to take place. We'll have Biden basically there, and I'm pretty positive Trump's not going to be there. He's pretty much already confirmed that, which I don't think he should go anyways. But but really, the, the question that comes up to mind or comes to my mind at this time is, what are the first hundred or so days of the Biden administration really going to look like? Where, where, do, where are we going here? What can we be looking out for as we move forward to kind of see what are the issues that we need to be fighting against and, and what is Biden going to really do? I mean, this is, uh, we, we kind of have speculated for a while on this. We know that he's kind of controlled by the radical left, but there's a few topics, uh, a few things that I know for a fact are going to take place. We know for a fact already. So the first one is that he's going to be looking at giving citizenship to 11 million illegal immigrants. Now, he's not going to do this through the normal channels that have already already been available. Make no mistake. It's you can become anybody can become a citizen of the United States through the proper channels. It's available to everybody to do it. It's just that many choose not to, which means that they want it being problematic for people that are taxpayers in the actual country. So there's actually a, an interesting story that came out literally just, uh, I think yesterday over this past weekend, a bunch of immigrants getting ready to storm over to the United States already. They know <laughs> they already know. So the uh, transition team for president elect Joe Biden is warning thousands of Honduran immigrants flocking to the U S border, seeking entry that they may end up waiting in Mexico for a while before their asylum claims can be processed. Thousands of immigrants have begun traveling to the United States with the expectation that Biden will relax strict border policies and that were put in place by President Trump. A caravan about 9,000 Honduran migrants is currently working its way to the U.S. border. On Friday, 2,000 members of the caravan overwhelmed Guatemalan authorities and pushed through border checkpoints without presenting identification. These guys, these people are excited, right? They see the writing on the wall. They know. <laughs> you know, th- the fact is that they know that Biden is going to be super relaxed on immigration policy. So they're taking every chance that they can get. They're saying, hey, you know what? But I, we're not going to wait till the 20th. <laughs> we're not going to wait till the policy gets in place. Biden's team is telling them, hey, wait, wait till we can get a policy in place and figure out what to do with you. They're, they're already there. This kind of immigration always begs the question, why in the world do left-wing people see the United States as such an evil place when they could have it so much worse? We're one of the few countries in the world where people are flocking through the gates trying to get here to the land of opportunity. You know, the other problem, too, that I think everybody should be concerned about, regardless of what your political affiliation is, is that we're in the middle of the coronavirus. 
And you're going to let a bunch of immigrants that came from who knows where cross over the border for what reason when they have no intention of getting a citizenship whatsoever. Now, I'm not crazed about the whole coronavirus thing or anything like that, but it is I'm specifically kind of pointing out the stupidity with the leftism that you looked at where they want these open borders, but the, but then they're so serious about the coronavirus. You think these people are going to start wearing masks and doing all these things that you want them to do? I highly doubt it. They're going to be all grouped in together just with all, like I said, you don't know where they came from. And, and that is what part of the problem of trying to just let everybody in for whatever reason, not caring at all. All because of some woke fantasy of this utopia where everybody can live in this big United States that Democrats hate. The other thing that Biden is looking at trying to do is raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Now, this has been on the cards for a long time. I think it was actually passed in Florida. But here's the biggest problem with things like that. What you're going to see, for us people that probably make more than minimum wage, what you're going to see is the cost of goods just going up even more. I always use this analogy, but it's basically economics 101. When everybody has a dollar, guess how much a dollar is worth? It's worth nothing. Because the value of money comes from people not having money or having that amount of money, whatever it may be. If everybody has the exact same amount of money, no one really has any money. It's just this item that's there. Doesn't, it's not, doesn't hold any particular value at all, though. So giving it the, into the wage of $15 an hour means that the price of normal goods are going to go up, plain and simple. Companies are going to want that money back for two reasons. Number one, because they're greedy and they want more money and they know more people have the ability to, uh, you know, actually afford it because typically companies price items to a, a cost that the market can bear. But they're also going to do it because they're going to have to pay those minimum wage employees a lot more now. Because of that, that means they're going to need to make more money, which means the price of goods are going to go up. And the other thing that you're going to see based off of this is you can you can just basically kiss that good Trump economy or growth goodbye, because if people think they're already getting laid off enough as it is because of the lockdowns, think of how much they're going to get laid off continuously or not ha- or the lack of jobs they're going to have when they start when the companies start laying people off because they just don't want to pay you fifteen dollars an hour, so they just understaff, and that's their only way of actually getting by during all of this. So one of the other things is that they he's looking at canceling student debt. Now, I don't know if this is going to pass or not, but it is something that they have Elizabeth Warren brought up and, and, and Biden is one of the people that's a part of this as well. Half the, one of the biggest problems, too, with this type of policy is it there's no way to, to really draft a consistent bill with this because who is it going to affect? That's always the first question is, okay, so this bill takes away college tuition for people that already graduated and are still paying it back. I mean, think of how many people are still paying back their loans right now. Is it covering them? Is it covering the people that have already paid their student loans? What if you just finished? That, that sucks to be you, right? You have to sit there and deal with the fact that other people got to have that all forgiven for them. But tough luck. If you want it paying your own way through college now. So this is just a bad idea. The other thing, too, is who's going to pay for this? We're going to be asking that question a lot during this administration. Who is going to pay for this? Because that money has to come from somewhere. 
Okay? That's a part of the issue that goes into all of this stuff. The other thing that he's looking at doing that we're going to start seeing more in the, just the kind of Democrat establishment is erasing the definition of gender. You're, you're going to see this stripped away more and more. And I don't mean in the sense of just some crazy Democrat states or areas. You're going to see this top down now. We've already seen uh, just a week ago with the amen and a woman, right? Where they're using this in Congress. This is going to trickle down to everything. I promise you. It's going to be in all of our, they're going to start it at the top and you're going to have Biden using the language and then everybody else underneath them is going to use this language and they're going to keep doing it until they can normalize it. That's, that's always how the left tries to change the minds of people is through the changing of language and what words mean and how they're supposed to be used. The last thing that we're going to see is probably continued lockdowns, something that a lot of Democrats didn't even think about for some reason. They were so busy hating Trump that they completely ignored the fact that Biden's primary uh, action towards COVID-19 is to lock down again or to continue to lock down. There was even a lady, I, I can't remember her name, but she said that if she had known that Biden was f- for lockdowns, she would have never voted for him. And honestly, I'm like, you know what? You get whatever you deserve. I, I, you didn't do the research. How can you vote for somebody you haven't done the research on? It's just pure ignorance at that point. But that's what we're going to see. I, I think there's a very good chance we're going to see some type of vaccine ID cards. I think there's a very good chance we're going to continue to see masks. Uh, they're probably going to mandate them now, uh, or at least try <laughs> his best bet to do that. But anyways, I'm not looking forward to this administration. I don't think any of you are either, but either way, it's our job to fight through this and to fight through this. We need to turn off the mainstream media and we need to turn on independent content creators, people that are not in the pocket and seat of these random donors who we don't even know who they are. It is time that we forge our own social media platforms, our own shows, our own what, whatever it is, wherever, whoever it is that you like listening to, listen to them and continue to support the content creators that are out there doing a podcast and doing a show so that all of us can actually separate ourselves away from these big conglomerates that have basically that that didn't reach out a hand to help us at all during this past election. Let's be honest. Fox left us. They're 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 gone. With that being said, though, I have a Patreon where you can donate to support the show. That would be greatly appreciated. And you can also find me on Gab as well. I have some more information on Parlor coming up also, but this show and podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So Parlor, I have a bit of Parlor news. It was a, there was an exclusive kind of interview with John Matz, the CEO of Parlor. And they went, he kind of went through everything that's actually going on. This time, I think we really have some serious news on it. Now, last week, Bongino, Dan Bongino said that the site would be back up and running by weeks in. That didn't happen. Okay, it's Monday, site's still down basically, but there's a little bit of good news that's going on. So I'm going to get into a little bit of that now. So this uh, the, the chief executive officer, John Matz, um, he said he is confident that his social media platform will be back online in the near future after his team is able 
or was able to launch a static website and recover the company's data over the weekend in a series of positive developments. Now, if you go to parlor.com right now, you're going to see a splash page. It's going to have like John Mads. He says, hello world, which is kind of a developer inside joke thing. Um, and then he has kind of a brief statement, basically just saying that we're still here. Now, he says a lot more in this article, so that's what I'm going to focus on. So directly from John Matt, he says, I'm confident that by the end of the month, we will be back up. Matt told Fox News during a phone interview. So that's what we're hoping. Month's end is kind of where, we're, where, we're, where they're looking at right now. But he said he's confident in that, which makes me believe that they have another host. I don't know who that is. It might be Epic. Epic is the site that basically hosts, or not doesn't host, but at least holds the domain for Gab.com, another free speech platform. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, more from what he's saying here, he says, every day it changes wildly. I feel confident now, Matt said. We're making significant progress. When you go to parlor.com, it doesn't show, it doesn't go into the void now. It hits a server and it returns just one piece of information. Uh, so the statement that he put on the site is, now seems like the right time to remind you all, both lovers and haters, why we started this platform. We believe privacy is paramount and free speech essential, especially on social media. Our aim was always or has always been to provide a nonpartisan public square where individuals can enjoy and exercise their rights to both. We will resolve any challenge before us and plan to welcome all of you back soon. We will not let civil discourse perish. Uh, Matt goes on to say, we're, uh, we're going to be putting periodic updates there. And he said that the goal is basically to get an update out every day. Now we're, we're going to see how that goes. I hope they do. I think they owe it to a lot of the people that have truly invested in parlor to, to do this. Now, one of the things that I thought was a bit weird is that they said that their, the data they just recovered this past Friday I know that they were saying that Amazon, um, I knew they had shut their servers off. Now, the problem was, is that they, I knew that they needed to transfer the data. I thought they did that already. I thought they did that a week ago. Apparently they just did it. So Amazon must have helped them get the data off of those servers or at least given them, given them the time to do that. So they didn't lose everything. So once it comes back up, that should be good news. Um, that, that will mean that everything should be back to normal if every, if all the systems are in place as they were before. So the, the other kind of development that you may have heard about is that Parler is suing Amazon for its decision to sever ties, claiming the move is motivated by political animus and is both a breach of contract and anti, and an antitrust violation. Amazon had nothing to do with Parler resurfacing online as Matt's team got the page up independently. So once again, there's some type of host. I'm thinking it's probably epic, but I'm speculating. Uh, it does say, however, Matt's did manage to recover Parler's data from Amazon on Friday, which is what I was talking about earlier. A key step into eventually relaunching and another major step in the right direction. Now we can finally rebuild Parler, Matt said. It's critically important. So when they're talking about rebuilding, it doesn't mean that they're literally restarting from scratch. What they're really talking about is rebuilding the framework on how the site got its data and everything else like that. So obviously I believe Parler was very heavily tied into the Amazon service. Therefore it's going to take time to migrate those channels to be compatible with a different host. And that's what I think is going to take most of the time. So hopefully they'll be up in the next two weeks. Um, the last thing he said here was despite all this, we haven't had one employee quit. Matt said not one. 
Even with them being harassed and threatened, no one has quit. We've got a strong team, and that has made them believe in us even more. And that is awesome to hear. Because it would be horrible to see the parlor team just kind of ditch the whole platform in the in, in lieu of all of these events. So we'll see. I, I, I feel very optimistic as well about Parlor. I think it'll be back soon. We all need it to be back soon. Um, I think Gab has taught us very <laughs> kind of in a, in a weird way that a lot of people have this kind of weird uh, animus towards Parlor on Gab. But the fact is, is that we need more free speech platforms. And we have to be open to those. And if, you know, you have one free speech platform slamming another free speech platform, our focus is in the wrong direction. We need to keep it all together and work together to get all of these sites back up and running and flourishing and doing well for themselves. That is the ultimate goal. So do you remember the Viking guy from the Capitol? This is the guy that had the helmet on, uh... I mean, he just looked ridiculous. I, when people saw this guy, they was like, there's no way this guy's a Trump supporter, right? Now, the media outlets were quick on this one to say he's a Trump supporter. He supports QAnon, all of this stuff. And we have proof to show you that this guy is clearly a Trump supporter. Well, take a look at this clip of him entering in to the actual Senate floor. Hey, hey man. Glad to see you guys. You guys are patriots. Look at this guy. He's got covered in blood. God bless you. Yes. You good, sir? Do you need medical attention? I'm good. Thank you. You all right? I got shot in the face. Where are they? I got shot in the face with some kind of plastic bullet. Any chance I could get you guys yeah. to leave the Senate wing? We will. I've been making sure they ain't disrespecting the place. Okay. Just want to let you guys know this is like the <coughs> sacredest place. I know. I know. Hey. Does that look like a Trump supporter to you? Does that look like somebody who forced their way inside the building and subsequently put all of these people's lives in danger? Now, if you're listening to the audio only, basically you see the Viking guy come in with a police officer right next to him, okay? Right next to him. And they walk down the aisles just where they were holding the the votes for the electors right there. And the police officer's like, hey, hey, you guys go ahead and do your stuff in here. I'm going to go out there and make sure nobody's acting up. And and they just let him right in. It's almost like he was giving the guy a tour of the place. He's like, oh, there's a ton of history here. That, that is insane. What happened to this guy being some Trump supporter? That I mean, uh, there were reports that he got arrested. This looks like a massive setup to me. This looks like a huge setup. Something isn't right. Something smells fishy about this entire situation. The police officer was not hostile towards him whatsoever. And how do you just let these people just walk right in? Like I said, it's almost like he told them where to go. I mean, how else would he have been able to find everything perfectly? And I don't get it. I, I do not understand that at all. I think we're going to see more of this as time goes on. You know, patience is a virtue in politics, to be honest with you. If we just would wait, oftentimes we'll find the answers that we need to know about everything. But because everybody has to make the fastest fastest determination possible, then all of a sudden we wind up being wrong later, all because of what we saw. We didn't even know any better at the time. 
so th- there's something that clearly happened in at the Capitol. Something suspicious. Something that we need to be looking into. There are other videos. There's videos I posted before about a group of police officers that were just willingly letting protesters ride on in. Didn't care. They didn't bat an eye. They basically opened the doors for them. What is what? Why was this happening at all? Definitely raises some questions. However, that is all the time I have for today. I thank you for watching the show, and I will see you on the next one. You just watched an episode from the William Hall Show. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe.